Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, October 6th. Finally, after what has been, I'm going to be honest, a fairly blah men's singles French Open, the action started to deliver. We were treated to a five-set quarterfinal thriller between Diego Schwartzman and Dominic Team. Of course, Yannick Sinner also giving a fantastic test to number two-seeded Rafael Nadal. It was also a really fun day for the women's singles matches. We're going to get to see a couple of new-time Grand Slam semifinalists on the top half of this women's singles draw. Of course, we've got an upset to discuss on that side as well. So much tennis for us to analyze. Joining me to do just that, as he has throughout this 2020 restart of professional tennis, you know him as our Crack Rackets Everything, a former Denison men's tennis great, the only undefeated high school tennis coach in Missouri history, and of course, the forefather of the forehand slice. James Foster McDonald. Jamie, what did you think of today's matches? A lot of fun. Uh, look, you're uh, you're not a boastful guy, and I and I respect that, but I have to bring <laughs> it up. It is your birthday, so my present to you is simply my presence on this podcast. Um, and maybe the Roland Garros <laughs> gods also knew it was your birthday and decided to give you the gift of some great men's tennis matches as well. I will disagree a little bit. I think the action has been fun up until now, but absolutely today really uh things things got cranked up yeah there have been pockets of enjoyment i agree with you well first of all let me say me you saying i'm not a boastful guy that's the biggest lie we've ever told on this podcast oh, yeah. and i think uh, our mean, listeners, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they're very well aware of that fact but thank you obviously yes i did enjoy uh my birthday being filled with such high quality tennis of course it also helps when our gsp ace of the day hits and that's exactly what happened as well and we're going to talk about tomorrow's ace of the day because i want to hear your thoughts at the end but you know to clarify there have been pockets of brilliance right of course it's really fun to see guys like pedro martinez portero to see guys like sebastian corda all of these different players you know roberto carbeas bania martin fuchovic all of them make their runs but you know coming into this quarterfinal round things went fairly chalk right it's djokovic versus Karina busta that's not shocking Tsitsipas rublev i had that in my tourneytopia it's probably the only quarterfinal i got right uh, of course nadal sinner one of the young up-and-comers versus rafa is always a fun occasion then team schwartzman we saw what schwartzman did in rome we saw what team did in new york i mean we knew coming into this round that there was the potential for really good tennis and i guess what makes me so excited is finally that that potential has delivered we got exactly what we were hoping to see or at least i got exactly what i was hoping to see yeah no i think that's fair and and let's say let's say this i i think this tennis was incredibly entertaining um from start to finish the schwartzman team match in particular was captivating to say the least uh, but the level of tennis wasn't always great from both sides. There was a lot of there was a lot of nervy play. Obviously, Dominic Team was just simply exhausted at some points. You know, granted he had just had some other battles, and Schwartzman really pushes you. So credit to him there. But yeah, I mean, this was a lot. This was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun, and Schwartzman deserves to come through this match. And and now he puts himself in a great position in the semis. It's huge. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to push back a little bit more, and it's not even pushing back against you, but just in general to the expectations of what we should expect to see in this Grand Slam quarterfinal. It's worth noting how much tennis have these guys played these past six weeks. I mean, for Dominic Thiem, and we'll talk about it in a second, he's on fumes during this match. And, of course, there's an illness that seems to be going around the tournament, and whether it's a flu, whether it's some food-related thing, whether it's, God forbid, you know, hopefully not COVID. Uh, We've talked about that on the podcast these past couple of days, but, you know, it's incredible to see this level from a guy like Dominic Team, given how much tennis he plays. Ditto for Diego Schwartzman, who probably could have played this best of seven sets. He really did look fresh in that fifth set, was tracking down so many of Team's, obviously, ridiculous ground strokes, and like, it's a testament to all of these players how fit they are. Now, of course, we have seen some upsets, and whether that's a product of people overplaying, whether that's a product of people not having rhythm, of course, I just wanted to remind, it's worth keeping in mind we are playing this tournament under extraordinary circumstances and you know the level of play from these players who del- who keep delivering victories uh it's worthy of grand slam semifinals yeah no i think that's absolutely fair yeah you, you i don't absolutely don't want to downplay um the, the 
trials and tribulations these guys have had to go through to get to this point. But, um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned it with team, right? He, he was on fumes and I'm sure at yeah. that point he was just relieved to get off the court, which is unfortunate, but understandable. Yeah, no. And I mean, speaking of unfortunate, but understandable, it's unfortunate, but understandable that our listeners can't spend money every day at our friends with Midwest sports. You know, you can't update your strings. You can't update your rackets the way these pro players do. Diego Schwartzman hands two player, uh, two rackets off to a runner. They come back to him 15 minutes later, restrung. But if you do have any equipment needs to improve your game, to just upgrade where you are at, you should turn to our friends at Midwest Sports because they're the best in the business. Anything you need from an equipment standpoint, you can find at their website, MidwestSports.com. You use our promo code CR15, you'll get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders, over $75. Best of all, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. And you use that promo code, you'll let them know we sent you there. So be sure to go to MidwestSports.com, use the promo code CR15, of course, you can tell Diego Schwartz and Dominic team, they need every edge they can, every boost of energy to get through a match as physical as their five-set thriller. You can get through as many physical matches as you need to with our friends at Aerobar, who I promise are going to provide you that boost you need to get your best performance on the court. It's the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business, more potassium than a banana, delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. And of course, Jamie, what does it come with? Dude, I wasn't listening. I was hoping you were going to say it comes with a podcast. Jamie, what does it come with? It comes with a podcast. That's absolutely right. Our Getting to the Point episodes focusing on the importance of nutrition and health in the modern game. Nutrition and fitness, excuse me, obviously nutrition and health as well. But you can go support our friends at Aerobar by going to aerobar.com using that promo code CRACKED15 to get 15% off your order. All right, Jamie, we're going to switch things up today. We're going to start with the men because let's just start with that match we keep alluding to, the match that threw off the entire day's schedule. It's why Rob. Rafael Nadal and Yannick Sinner got off court probably 7, 7.30 Eastern time, and that's why we're starting recording this mini break now at 8.08 p.m. because, or, you know, 8 p.m. because it's been such a funky day of results. We didn't want to leave anything to chance, but Diego Schwartzman, Dominic team, a physical five-plus hour battle. Schwartzman advancing to his first ever Grand Slam semifinal after he survives and advances with a 7-6, 5-7, I mean, again, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the nitty-gritty, but for Diego Schwartzman to come through in this fashion, Jamie, he just, he tracked down everything Dominic Team threw at him. He had an answer, he had a counter, he had an adjustment, you know, there were ebbs and flows in this match, but nevertheless, the way Diego Schwartzman competed, I mean, it just epitomizes everything he's represented during his career. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to see him have this breakthrough to that semi level. And and real quick, the thing for me, you talk about the ebbs and flows throughout this match, absolutely were, right? The amount of breaks, then break backs, and momentum switches and stops. Regardless of all of that, I still think the most important thing about this match was that first set tiebreak. Because if Schwartzman doesn't grab it and grab it in the convincing manner that he does, I don't think this match shakes out the same way. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And look, as we get into the stats of this match, some things jump out. For Diego Schwartzman, he goes to the net 71 times in this match. You almost have to do that against Dominic Team. We saw Zverev employ a very similar tactic. Just because Dominic Team is going to be four, five, six feet behind the baseline, you have to take the space away from him because even on the days when he's off physically, even on the days when he's not connecting with that beautiful inside-in forehand, he's just going to make a match miserable for you indeed. Diego Schwartzman kept taking chances. You know, to your point, I agree with you. It felt like team uh, really could have broken serve at the end. I think it was the 5-6 service game Schwartzman was serving in just to stay alive in the set. But then all of a sudden, Schwartzman races out with a 7-1 tiebreaker, and now he's up a set. And what was so amazing is it was clear Dominic team did not have a lot of fuel in the tank. And his performance today to even get this match to five sets, uh, to go five sets, to compete with Diego Schwartzman, given his level. It's a testament to uh, Dominic Team's competitiveness. It's a testament to his uh, just straight will uh, to stay out on the court and to give everything he has to scrap and claw and turn into a clay court grinder. But, you know, Schwartzman, I, I mean, it just... 
it took teams so much energy to even get that two sets to one lead that by the time you got to the fourth, it was like, okay, if Dominic team's got to win this match in four sets because if it gets to a fifth, it's just clear Schwartzman's got more left in the tank. Yeah, and I will say this. It did look like team was going to win at four. He comes out and immediately mm-hmm. breaks, gets that 2-0 lead in the fourth, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, team's got this in the bag, right? Team did the thing that we talk about, obviously, at a lower level, about those top guys, the Djokovic and Nadal. They just stick around in matches. You know, Even when they're not feeling their best or playing their best, they stick around in matches, and when the opportunity presents itself, they strike. And so that's what team was doing for a while, and it really looked like he was going to be able to do it and solidify a four-set win. Uh, but that's when Schwartzman, again, we talk about all those momentum swings, breaks back, um, gets this thing right back on track, and ultimately takes the fourth and the third breaker of this match. So really fun stuff but yeah that fourth set was a really odd one for me because I was at that point I was fully expecting team to just keep that break hold on to it and win this thing outright I tweeted this out as a joke but I genuinely would like to hear your opinion if they played this match best three out of five ground stroke games to 21 doesn't it look pretty similar to what we saw out there today yeah oh it looks it looks incredibly similar um I mean because just, we can just say that without actually backing it up. But also, even if you go to the serving <laughs> statistics, right, Schwartzman had one ace, yeah. right? I mean, team, yeah. a guy who has a big serve and loves to use that ad side one, only has seven across a five-hour match. That's not that many for Dominic Team. No, uh, yeah, seven in a match that featured, you know, 376 points. Exactly. Like, okay, so you take those away. Yeah, what about the other 369? Right, exactly. It's nuts. So, and honestly, they just canceled each other out, as fitting as that is, because yeah. you know there were eight aces total between the two guys, and there were eight double faults. So <laughs> you even it out, and what do you have? Ground stroke games, as you mentioned it. Um, and it, it really was a battle from the baseline. And Dominic Team, I mean, you mentioned it before, he just had to... He just used so much effort, right? I mean, that's the Dominic team signature, right? We know how much he puts into every ball, um, and he kept doing it over and over, and Schwartzman made him repeat it two, three, four more times than he was comfortable with, and ultimately that's why Schwartzman gets across the finish line. He simply outlasted Dominic team. Um, and yeah, so, and there were a couple— yeah. No, oh, ahead, I, sorry to no. This is the interruptions that you justifiably chased me for, uh, you know, early on. But uh, yeah, for Dominic Team, one of the early signals was he kept slicing his backhand, and it just felt weird. And he kept turning to these bailout drop shots. And you look at the statistics in this match for Dominic Team: sixty-five winners over the course of five sets. Dominic Team's going to do that, but eighty-one unforced errors. Again, only three double faults, only seven aces. So you take those out of the equation. Fifty-eight winners against. 78 unforced errors, you know, for Schwartzman, he's 47 winners against 62 unforced errors, you take away the aces and double faults, 46 winners against 57 unforced errors, Schwartzman was just willing to make the points a little bit longer, and Diego Schwartzman's footwork to get around that cross-court backhand slice from Dominic Team and be able to hit a forehand and dictate a little bit with that forehand. It was remarkable. And I mean, you look in this match, Jamie, they played as many points, uh, you know, they played as many zero to four shot rallies as they did five to eight shot rallies. They also played as many nine plus shot rallies as they did five to eight shot rallies. So this match had it all. You wanted the short points. You wanted the five to eight shotters. You wanted 119 points, Jamie, went over nine shots. I mean, again, this was a ground stroke battle and you never want to get into a ground stroke battle with Diego Schwartzman because he's just got so many options. And look, we saw him win in Rome. We saw him beat Nadal. To do that three out of five sets, as Yannick Sinner learned today, is a much more difficult task. But, you know, Schwartzman gets two days off now to rest before he has to face Nadal. He is as confident as any player on tour right now. And just with the way he plays, I mean, it's just so relentless, Jamie. I Do I think upset alert? No. Do I think he's going to win a set? Very, very likely. Yeah. No, I mean, look, Schwartzman looks to be in good form, and he proved how hard it is to, to hit through him. Um, and look, this mm-hmm. was, this was at the end of the day, this is sort of how this match was always going to go, right? The question is, could team hit through Schwartzman? Um, and Schwartzman answered that for us, and the answer is no, right? And so obviously mm-hmm. the matchup with Nadal poses its own different set of challenges. But Schwartzman, look, he's not afraid of playing Nadal. Look, he just beat the guy. Plus, remember, in the past at this tournament, he's taken a set off of him. So... He's he's not lacking in the confidence department here. Schwartzman has to be feeling pretty good. He's well aware of the challenge that's ahead of him, and that's totally fine. 
I think he can – look, especially given what Sinner was able to do today, I don't see a reason why Schwartzman can't push him like that and then some. Yeah, and, you know, we'll talk about that Sinner-Nadal match momentarily. To quickly put a bow on Dominic Team's run here now, you know, he obviously first-round loss at Cincinnati, but then he go, or at the Western Southern, he goes on to win the U.S. Open quarterfinals here in the French Open. You look at these past six weeks, unequivocally a major victory for Dominic Team. Of course, you would have loved to see him get over the finish line in this match, but how can you come away from these past six weeks and be anything but impressed with his effort? Because, again, Again, on a day when clearly he was struggling physically, on a day where the A game just wasn't there, he extended this match to five sets and legitimately probably should have won it in three or four. Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely true. And for me, the silver line, if you want to call it a silver lining for yeah. Dominic Team, at least a justification of what just happened, for me, he wasn't going to win this event. There's no chance he was going to get through Rafa and then through Djokovic and win this thing. Like, that just, just yeah. simply wasn't going to happen. Um, and so... You know, you call this what it is, right? He was exhausted, and Schwartzman played a really solid match. Um, team had his chances. If he hits his spots a little bit more, yeah, he walks away from this thing, you know, and probably in four sets, and it is what it is. But at this point, you mentioned it. He can't look back on these past six weeks or however long and be anything but really impressed with himself. And he's got great momentum now moving through the rest of this year and then honestly into to 2021 as well. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. And as we mentioned, uh, it would have been fun to see him take on Rafa for the third straight year at the French Open. It's still going to be really fun to see that Rafa Schwartzman rematch. And of course, Rafa setting that up by taking a 7 6 6 4 6 1 win over Yannick Sinner. And again, I want to just do a little bit of a disclaimer before we get into this match because it's worth reminding all of you listeners Yannick Sinner freshly 19 years old to have a 19 year old compete as well as he did for that first two sets of this match against Rafa I was blown away Jamie and the third set got away from him clearly and physically he started to struggle a little bit at the end and guess what to ask a 19 year old to hang with Rafa for three out of five sets good luck to any 19 year old in the world but through sets one and two I don't know how you can watch that performance and not see him and think okay four five six Grand Slam singles titles that seems possible. Yeah, I mean, the level he's displayed in this tournament, and obviously over the last couple of years as he's ascended through the ranks, but culminating in a result like this, no, he doesn't win. Yeah, how fun would it have been to see him grab that first set? That would have been incredible. I mean, obviously he gets into situations where he breaks Nadal, and you know the commentators kept saying it's like, oh, what's the hardest thing to do is hold your serve and consolidate that break right after breaking the great Nadal, and, and of course Nadal comes back and breaks right away. So, you know, I, I don't want to take anything away from center because he did a phenomenal job in this match. He did go toe-to-toe with Nadal. I was worried that it was just going to be, you know, center being outclassed in this match, but that's really not what it was. Um, you know, he really stood up to Rafa Nadal. He had his chances. Yeah, Nadal played great in the big moments and then rode the momentum through that third set, but I- I'm really impressed with the young Italian, you know, not only in this match, but of course his run we've seen over the last week and a half. Yeah, I mean, in this match, 31 winners against 44 unforced errors, but more importantly, he made 68% of his first serves, and ultimately that percentage of win percentage on first serves falls to 57% for the match, but in set number one, a set he legitimately could have won as he served for the set up 6-5, he made 63% of his first serves, he won 68% of those service first service points he only got broken once. In set number two, you know, the first serve percentage di- uh, was at 82%, and so that first serve win percentage dipped a little bit to 54 but when you're making 82% of your first serves, you can afford to have that first uh, to have that first serve win percentage dip a little bit, and it was just the fearlessness he played with. Rafa Rafa'd his way during this match. Forehand cross, forehand cross, forehand cross, forehand line, but what you noticed is that Rafa would wait an extra ball, an extra two, maybe even three shots before pulling the trigger and attacking the center forehand hand and center was just fearless center was like oh you want to go my back into your forehand Rafa that's fine my backhand's really good and there are times when center's shots look a little bit wristy and yet the drive the depth the action he's able to produce on the ball with his ground strokes yeah it's again impossible to be anything but impressed with the young Italian 100% you know I think 
one of the most impressive things for me in this match was how well Yannick Sinner stood up to the Nadal, you know, trademarks that we've seen him win countless matches, right? You mentioned it already, that cross-court forehand with just so many RPMs up to somebody's backhand. Yannick Sinner didn't shy away from it, right? He stepped into it, took it a bit early if he needed to. I mean, that was the most promising for me because, you know, I, I don't think this is the end of these guys, you know, clashes on clay. So now he's got a lot of confidence. You know, he knows what's going to happen. And obviously he's watched Nadal forever, so he knew that. But to feel it on the court, he's got some good experience to go off of now if these two run up head to head once again on the clay. Yeah, I think they even practiced together early on in the event. And, you know, if I gave you the number, Rafa 68% at the net, Sinner 54%, you'd be like, oh, Rafa was that much better. Rafa 19 of 28 at the net, Sinner 15 of 28. Rafa only won four more points at the net than Sinner. And we talk so frequently about how the best wrinkle about this version of Nadal is his willingness to move forward now, take advantage of the space he creates. But Yannick Sinner did that as well. And it's a credit to Yannick Sinner. Do you know how intimidating it must be to hit an approach shot and know Rafael Nadal's about to hit a pass at you, I'd be like, all right, I lose this point, whatever. Um, And obviously, he's going to have more confidence than me because that's why he's succeeding at such a high level at such a young age. But just the huevos on this young Italian, so impressive. Now, let's quickly talk about Rafa because we haven't talked about him much on this mini break podcast yet, Jamie, and there hasn't really been a reason to because he's hardly been tested. He was tested here in sets number one and two. And to be honest, I didn't love the way Rafa played today. I thought the ball sat a little bit short on him. Now, of course, Sinner put a lot of pressure on him, and ultimately Nadal was able to make the adjustments. And for Rafa, it's never how he looks in one set. It's always, can you beat him in three out of five sets? And the answer on clay, obviously, only twice has that answer been yes. But I don't know. I thought it was really good for Rafa to get tested in this fashion. What did you see from him today, Jamie, that maybe you liked or disliked? Yeah, I mean, look, it wasn't the best Nadal performance, right? The best Nadal performance blows center out of the water in this match. But, I mean, again, this is the thing we talk about. He wasn't necessarily playing his best. There were a few forehands you see sprayed go a bit long, and you, you notice the frustration with himself. But as mm-hmm. Nadal as Nadal always does, he just stayed locked in and he waited because he knew that he was going to have the chances, and then he took them. And you mentioned the willingness to move forward. And for me, I do think it pads his net point stats a bit. Nadal comes in when the point is already won. Right. I mean, the, all he has to do is just do a put away volley. And yeah, he has phenomenal hands to do so. So that's great. Um, but I was let's say this. I was happy with how Nadal played in terms of just enduring points with center, right? The, mm-hmm. the the fierce offense wasn't always working, so Nadal said, okay, well, I will go back to you know 2008 myself, and I will just sit back here, um, and I will sit back here and grind with you, and you're not going to beat me at that game. And as soon as you give up a short one, I'll rip the, you know, the inside-out forehand that we've seen a million times. Um, so I, I do like how he was able to just steady himself and be patient, but Really, there's not that much to say. I mean, Nadal won another match in straight sets, right? Most of this, to me, is a story about Yannick Center, and Nadal you know, remains unscathed, albeit slightly tested in this one. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Well, then, with that in mind, let's switch gears now and talk about these women results, women's results. And, of course, we had one fourth-round match to finish up this morning, Onjabur taking on Danielle Collins. And it was a match that we thought was going to go the distance, and that's exactly what happened. Now, we've seen young American, well, uh, you know, I guess 26, 27 years old, still young in the pejorative sense, but now a veteran on tour, Danielle Collins, make the semifinals of a Grand Slam. She did it at the Australian Open, I believe, in 2019. She now finds herself back in another major quarterfinal as she knocks off Shabur 6-4-4-6-6-4 for Collins. Obviously, that's back-to-back wins over seeded players and for her in this match. I mean, she, Danielle Collins, through and through. She made 63% of her uh, first serve. She won 70% of those points, 25 winners against 29 unforced errors. But what I love was the added wrinkle, Jamie, 20 of 30 at the net for her today. She did a really good job of playing offense against an own Jabour who obviously is going to pull the trigger, who's going to put you in uncomfortable positions. And this was a great match. Yeah, she did a great job putting that pressure on her. And you mentioned the net um, presence, which was great. Obviously, the, the other big part of it for me was on the second serve return. Um, you know, mm-hmm. she took full swings at this and, and you know, really did not give Jabour much 
time at all, right? She was constantly under the Collins pressure, and I think that's what got her through this match, right? I mean, neither of these players did well on their second serve. Danielle Collins did a little bit better if you take out those double faults from the calculation, but regardless, both of these players had cracks on one another's second serve. Collins just doing a phenomenal job of making sure that those opportunities started at the point well, and, and that's why, you know, that's how she was able to do this. That's how she was able to break six times. Yeah, look, 30 total games in this match. There were 11 breaks of serve, which isn't horrible, but that's not great. And you look for both players, Collins 12 of 34 on second serve points, Jabour 17 of 44 on second serve points. Whoever could get the first strike in, play the first strike tennis, dictate the terms of the point, uh, they had more success in this match. Now, for own Jabour, 42 winners against 30 unforced errors, Collins 25 winners against 29 unforced errors, Jabour 89 total points won, Collins 93 total points won. Of course, Jabour was serving to stay alive in this match at 4-5 in the third set. This was an absolute pick And I've said this before, but I would say it again. If the World Tour Finals were the eight most relevant players of a season, not the eight who accumulated the most points, but the eight most relevant players of the season, Own Shabur belongs on that list. She has shown, and I guess we need to see it a little bit more on grass, but whether it be hard courts or clay, the versatility in her game is outstanding. But Danielle Collins is just one of those players when if she is on, if she is confident, she's going to hit through any any opponent she faces. She's not going to be intimidated. She's not going to care what her opponent is doing, and she is going to be a dangerous opponent tomorrow, obviously, for Sophia Kennan, who she's never lost to in her career. Yeah, that's going to be a ton of fun. Just My, my last real remark on this one is I, I did expect Jabor uh, to be able to come through this match. Honestly, for me, though, it, it was simply the fact that she had to serve to stay in it. And how many times, particularly on the women's side of this draw, have we seen that happen where serving to stay in it, you're in trouble? Because especially when the nerves get up there, the person who's returning and swinging freely, especially somebody like a Danielle Collins on this surface in the big moments, you know, they have a big advantage. Um, and so to me, I think Jabour got a little bit tight. Danielle Collins gets that opportunity, gets it to 30-40 and just takes it right she takes a 6-4 in the third so a really good match from start to finish though um you know Jabor doesn't really have anything to be disappointed about in this one yeah she could clean a few things up yeah she could have served better in the big moments but ultimately Collins went out there and won this thing yeah, no, it was outstanding. And again, we'll get to see how she bounces back tomorrow. Uh, but let's move now to our quarterfinal matches we saw today. And let's start with the upset on the day. Nadia Podoroska, the Argentinian who has been so impressive throughout this event. She knocked out Putin Seva in round two. And, you know, then the draw did open up for her. But we talked going into this event, Jamie. We said the Svitolina quarter was going to be the most difficult quarter of the entire draw. If I would have told you Nadia Podoroska was my pick to emerge, you would have laughed me off the podcast. You'd been like, Ruskin, we're not doing that. Let's redo this. Come on. You know that's not serious. That's a waste of everyone's time. And yet, I texted you yesterday. I said, I'm not, I don't have enough bravery to actually make this an ace of the day, but the way Nadia Podoroska is playing, I think she can absolutely beat Alina Svitolina. And that's exactly what she did. 6-2, 6-4 victory. She becomes the first qualifier ever to advance to the semifinals in women's singles at the French Open. She jumps 83 spots now in the live ranking after this event, up to number 48 now in the world. And Jamie, it's not a fluke. She's legit. Uh, On clay, unless you have a big weapon, I don't know how you hurt her. I feel like with that whole preamble, you were trying to subtly imply that you saw this coming from her. (laughs) I got it. I got it. No, no, no. (laughs) You said it at the beginning. You said it at the beginning. I don't brag. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll leave that there. Uh, for the record, listeners, he did not. Uh, no matter what he tells you, and you know, tries to retroactively make subtle takes. Uh, but no, I mean, look, a great performance in this one for me, though. Svitolina hitting eight winners throughout the entire course of this match. Eight. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's just you're just simply not going to win that match, no. especially it when get, you hit 22 on four stairs. Like you just not. It, it gets even better, Jamie. 49 percent win percentage on the first serve. For Podoroska, you're like, oh, how'd she win this match? Svitolina, 12 of 36, 33 percent on the first serve. You look in for the totals for both of these. Podoroska on serve, she goes 30 of 59, barely eclipsing that 50 percent mark. For Svitolina, she goes 20 of 56 on the match in receiving points. Jamie Podoroska won 64 percent of the points on Svitolina's serve. We joked about it in the last match. 11 breaks in 30 games in. 
in this match, there was a grand total of 18 games. Overall, we had 13 breaks of serve in 18 games. Sometimes it's like, what are we doing? Yeah, it's uh, it was it was something to watch, right? And, and yeah. look, I mean, to both of these players, we're getting so many looks on one another's serve. Not only, we've already talked about the surface and how the ball's really just not cutting through it much at all, but especially when these guys are throwing up, or excuse me, these women are throwing up sixty-seven and seventy-six percent or seventy-six mile an hour second serves. I mean, does the averages across the match? Of course, they're going to be getting looks on one another's serve, and you know, hey, credit to Podoroska for for getting through this one, but. Honestly, if if someone comes up, if someone comes through this and is going to play her and has the weaponry to get it done, she's in a lot of trouble. Well, here's the thing, though, because Shviatek is or Shviatek, excuse me, is going to attack, right? She's going to move forward, but unless you can really hit Podoroska off the court, she can move really well. And what these stats tell you, and you know, for Podoroska, thirty winners against thirty unforced errors, which, given the circumstance, actually sounds pretty good. Uh, you know, she's a really good mover on the clay. Unless you've got a big weapon, she's probably going to track down that extra ball. Now, what Sviantek does so well is, if you give her an extra ball, her positioning on the court is so great that that extra ball is usually a winner and for Svitolina that wasn't the case today but you know what this match shows me on in clay court tennis it's not about playing first strike tennis it's about controlling the direction of the point controlling the flow if you're the first one to go down the line you better be damn sure you're down the line shot has appropriate depth has appropriate you know spin because otherwise now you're at the mercy of that other player because change you know changing your momentum changing direction that much more difficult on a clay court and I just think Podoroska did such a good job today of punishing any Svedalina ball that hung short and I am just so impressed with her performance. She has been just so outstanding this entire event. Hey, listen, we now have two players from Argent from Argentina in the semis, and, and one of them isn't the, the Tower of Tandil. I mean, come on. <laughs> the, look the, for the Argentinian for the Argentine fan. You know, you got to feel for him with all the injuries that Juan Martin has gone through. This is what they needed. So shout out to you all, right? I mean, this is good stuff. Podoroska and Schwartzman into the semis of the French. That's just that's just a fun storyline. And of course, I will always say this, Diego Schwartzman, Jewish! And he is in the semifinals of the French Open. Always love to see that. Obviously, again, a birthday gift from him to me. But uh, yeah, two Argentinians in the semifinals is crazy. Now, of course, as we alluded to, Podoroska going to take on Sviantek, who after her win over Simona Halep became odds makers' favorites to win this event. She struggled a little bit at the beginning, fell uh, to a 3-1 early deficit, but then she started doing her thing. She found her range. She got patient. She changed her direction she moved forward and ultimately it was a very comfortable 6-3-6-1 victory for her in this match I believe she has not had a set yet go beyond 6-4 in any of her matches she has yet to drop a set in this entire tournament and Jamie I mean unseeded versus unseeded player it's crazy to say Iga Sviantek enters the semifinals as the favorite to make the final she's been that good yeah I mean she looks phenomenal. Um, she's looked great throughout this entire tournament, and that didn't stop today. You mentioned the nerves at the beginning of this match. Sviantek, she gets broken in the opening game, um, and, you know, it is what it is, right? She bounces back fairly quickly, so it's, she wipes it away, and it's not too concerning. Uh, obviously, if you take that out of the equation, then this match is even more of a blowout. But, yeah, you mentioned it. She steadied the ship. Um, she got right back on it, and she won this thing convincingly. And, and look, she was simply the better player, right? I, I think she would have had to have a major meltdown for Trevisan to get through this match, and credit to her for not, right? It, it's a big thing when she comes through. She knows that she's being looked at as the favorite through to win this now. And so it's just it's a very interesting dynamic and probably not one that she expected to find herself in. But nonetheless, she's in a great position, and now all the way through the semis against somebody who came through qualies, I mean, that's that's a dream scenario for some, a player like her. Yeah, and look, for Sviantek, having this was really the first match I watched very closely from start to finish. You know, the Sviantek-Hallett match was so early in the morning, so I didn't get to catch that one at the start. But the jump on her kick serve, Jamie, she's about 5'10". It's special. 
I mean, that serve jumps up on, it was at Trevisan's head, and then, you know, the plus one ball opens for her, and it says she's only seven of nine at the net, but she moved forward far more than nine occasions, which just drew the Trevisan error, and yeah, I mean, Sviantek is just a special talent, because it's not going to overwhelm you with power, it's not a Sabalenka, right, or Yastremska, but it's the way she uses her size to take balls early, move forward. Honestly, watching her today, it was eerily similar to the performance of Yannick Sinner, just the way they take balls early, the way they're both so comfortable with their games. And as you mentioned at the beginning of the first set, how calm she was going down 3-1. It was, all right, I just need to find my range, but stick to the game plan. I know what I would need to do to execute today. And then she ripped off five straight games. So yeah, I I just think she is, again, one of these amazing talents, uh, one of these incredible young players who, in the women's game, who you just look at and you're like, how is she not going to win a Grand Slam title? And it's just, it was really fun to watch. And obviously for Trevor, Vison, an incredible run for her, and she shared her backstory, and it's an incredible story. Uh, that I encourage you all to go check out on your own. But a great result for her. The takeaway, though, Iga Sviantek is ready to make a Grand Slam semifinal, and that match with Podoroska is yeah. obviously going to be a ton of fun. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you there. I will say, last thing on this match, we'll go back to your kick serve comment. Yes, the Sviantek kick serve it does have quite a bit of jump on it i feel like it's a little bit exaggerated in a match like this where her opponent is 5-2 or 5-3 um yeah the thing was jumping up on trevisan makes it look a lot more aggressive than it is somebody who's a bit taller is going to have a lot more opportunities right Podoroska up at 5-7 or 5-8 she's going to have opportunities to take cracks at that serve where trevisan probably didn't um, but yeah, that being said, Triantec was very smart in the serve she used, and she absolutely used it to her advantage and, and cruised through the rest of this match. I want you to know I almost made a height joke there, but I'm going to avoid it because I don't want to do that to you as you are already gracing me with your presence on this, the 25th birthday of mine. Uh, anyways, yes. To I, me. I, yeah, well, I was going to say getting kick serves kicked over your head, that's a feeling you're probably familiar with, right? I mean, I, I don't think so, but yeah. I'm sure. Nick Certainly Pallucci. not by you, I can tell you. That. <laughs> Nick Paolucci just called. He's like, hey, did you reach that? Hey, remember when he was serving on a match point, I ripped a winner down the line <laughs> to save it? Ask him about that one. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that well. Anyways, sorry for that, listeners. Uh, to move forward now, because obviously we know half of the semifinal field for the men's and women's, the other half going to be decided tomorrow, and we have a bunch of fun matches on our hands. I hate to do this again, but I think we have to start with the men because of the blockbuster match of the day, the one that I have uh, actually centered some of my ace of the day picks, and I know you're going to get mad at me for that, Jamie, but let me make the case for you as we get into it. It's a rematch of a match we literally saw last Sunday. We saw uh, Andre Rublev knock off Stefano Tsitsipas to take home the title in Hamburg. Now, of course, they'll play for the second time uh, in about 10 days here in this quarterfinal round. That match in Hamburg, a three-set battle in which Tsitsipas had plenty of chances to take the match, but you look at this one from the onset, Jamie. What are you thinking? How are you feeling? I know this is going to be a battle. Yeah, I mean, in terms of betting, this is a huge stay away for me um, because <laughs> both of these guys have looked good. I know you've been really hot on Rublev, and, and rightfully so, but as you mentioned, Tsitsipas had multiple chances uh, for him to run away with that match, so I, I don't feel confident that it's going to be you know, decidedly one way or the other. Tsitsipas obviously hungry for revenge on that Hamburg final as well. I, I don't know. It's it's a difficult one for me, but regardless, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy watching it start to finish, and... My pledge right now is to not put any money on this so that I'm not rooting for it in that regard. I just want to watch it and enjoy it for the tennis it is, right? It's not one of those matches where I have to be financially invested to truly enjoy it. No, I agree with you. One of my picks, the over three and a half sets, and it's minus 240, but I just don't see a world where one of these guys wins in straights. The the way these two compete, the level they're both playing at, this match is going at least four sets. And so I know minus 240 isn't great odds, but sometimes you're just like, hey, take the money if it's there. And I just think that's there. Like, I just, I cannot see a world where this is a straight set match. It'd be very surprising. Um, it would be very surprising if either one of these guys gets out of this in three. And, you know, granted, there's a scenario where it's like a, you know, five, six, and four, uh, three yeah. really tight sets, and, and that's a possibility. But yeah, at this point, you know, if I had to bet either way, one way or the other, certainly over three and a half. 
Yeah, so that's one of them. I also, so I use the winnings on that. I'm going to throw them on the underdog Rublev, who I just don't think should be the underdog in this match. I think Andre Rublev has done enough. He beat him literally a week ago. He was a quarterfinalist at the U.S. Open. He's, you know, tied or at the wins leader on the ATP Tour in 2020. I know Tsitsipas has been great, but I just think Rublev should be favored. And because he's not, I saw the value on the board, and I was like, you know what? It's going to be a small bet, but that's my pick for this match ace of the day let's put my money where my mouth is who are you taking to win this one mm, i'm gonna say Sitsipas, and i really don't know why it's a complete gut feeling but to me i was really impressed with how he stood up to the dimitrov challenge Mm -hmm. um you know it proved to me that Sitsipas isn't a good he's in a good space right now um he knows what it's like to to be in tight situations and get out of it and i think that's going to be the storyline of this match there's going to be so many deciding moments there's going to be i would be very surprised if there's not a breaker or very very close sets and Sitsipas has shown throughout this tournament that he's able to do that right you know the the test that he faced against Hami munar in the first round <laughs> since then he hasn't dropped a set right Um, And so Rublev obviously has done phenomenal things as well and looked really, really sharp. But to me, the Tsitsipas side of this, I mean, he's going to have so much confidence and he's hungry for revenge. Yeah, I I think that's a good take, and there will be no gloating tomorrow from me if Rublev ends up actually being the winner, but I just look at the two weaknesses, and I went back and I watched the highlights and honestly watched some of their match in Hamburg, and I just think the Rublev backhand to the Tsitsipas backhand, Rublev now wins those exchanges, and he's a good enough mover that even when Tsitsipas tries to move forward, tries to take balls early, tries to throw Rublev off of his rhythm, Rublev can get around that backhand slice now and hit inside-out forehands, and then he opens up the inside-in forehand for himself. And again, it's the battle of weaknesses. What am I more concerned with? Uh, Stefano Tsitsipas, how his backhand holds up under the return, how it holds up in the rallies, or the fact that Andre Rublev, not the most comfortable volleyer, and like sometimes gets a little bit slap-happy. And I just feel a little bit more confident in Rublev right now. And so again, I think this is going to be a battle, but that would be my case for Rublev, is that Rublev you know, is going to pepper that backhand side for Tsitsipas. And of course, Tsitsipas is ready for that, but I just think Rublev does everything else in his game now well enough that it's going to be easier for him to attack Tsitsipas than it will be for Tsitsipas to attack Rublev. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think it's fair. I think the surface in this case, especially with we've seen you know how slow it's been playing, is going to throw a little interesting dynamic in here. I think there's going to be some points where Sitsipas is going to need to get to the net on sort of broken points and finish things off. Um, but yeah, I mean, Rublev's not going to have an easy time hitting through Sitsipas, and nor is Sitsipas going to be able to hit through Rublev easily. So I think it's going to be a lot of really fun play. There's probably going to be some points that look pretty similar to the Schwartzman team breakout that we saw today. Both guys just grinding it out from the baseline, but regardless, it's going to be really fun to start from start to finish. Yeah, and so that is one match on the men's side. Of course, the other one, a rematch from the U.S. Open. Novak Djokovic taking on Pablo Carreno Busta. Of course, we all remember what happened the last time these two faced off. Djokovic defaulted from the U.S. Open, his only loss of the season uh, after he struck a line judge with a ball in the throat. Jamie, Here's my theory for this match, and it's not an ace of the day, but I legitimately thought about doing it. Novak Djokovic, you take the under 26 and a half games in this match, plus 195. We've talked all week about how he's had revenge on his mind. Isn't there a world where he wins this match 2-2-2? I actually disagree. I think this is going to be tighter than people. I think think this is going to be tighter than people are expecting. Um, Karina Busta has looked really good in this tournament. I think obviously, you know, Djokovic is going to have revenge on the mind, but I think there's going to be other things on his mind as well. I think that typically Djokovic might have a big release of anger that, you know, seeing what he's seeing across the net and knowing what he knows about the U.S. Open, he's potentially going to leave some of that inside and not release it the way that he probably needs to. Um, And that's all without talking about the Karina Busta side of this, who, look, he's only dropped one set throughout this entire tournament. And it was to a guy who knows his game so well. It was 7-5 to Bautista Agut. You know, other than that, the guy has just been completely rock solid. I think Karina Busta is going to cause a lot of problems for Djokovic. And if PCB can stay really patient, there's a world where he just makes Djokovic miserable and, and Djokovic starts to crumble a bit. Now, Djokovic obviously still the favorite, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than people than people realize. And I'd be surprised. I'd be really surprised if Karina Busta doesn't at least get a set. 
I'm looking at their career head-to-head. Djokovic leads 3-1, to one, obviously the one coming at the U.S. Open. But on that career head-to-head page, they also have career prize money. And Djokovic, $144,160,000 career dollars in prize money. I mean... God, I wish I could be the best tennis player in the world. Anyways, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Like, this match could absolutely go the distance. This, for me, and I'm not betting on it. That's why I said it was just a pet theory I wanted to run by you. But I can absolutely see the world where Djokovic is just like, huh, remember how you were up a break in me against me? And everyone was like, well, Djokovic was down a break anyways, so you can't just say he was going to win the match. Let me just remind everyone why you can say I was going to win the match. And he just steamrolls through this one. I just see that narrative. And I'm ready for Djokovic and Nadal in this final. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's still what we're looking at here. And Nadal has not given any reason, despite a center test, to, to see that he wouldn't match Djokovic on the other side. I just think this one's going to be a lot closer, and I'm sticking to it. I might actually have to look later tonight what the uh, what the odds are looking like for an over three and a half sets in that one, because I do think Karina Boost is going to grab at least one set. They are very, very nice. You look at the over right now. I can give that to you, Djokovic. Plus 155, the over three and a half sets. Usually that over three and a half sets, particularly this late in the event is going to be minus 150 or worse that it's plus odds they seem to be leaning the way I'm leaning that Djokovic is about to pop PCB but you know again uh, PCB rolling they hate it so it's not a bad pick by you I don't hate that at all let's look now on the women's side though we alluded to one of these matchups earlier Danielle Collins taking on Sophia Kennan Collins 3-0 over Kennan in their three career matchups they played in Adelaide this year was a 3-1 win for Collins obviously it's been six lifetimes since that match happened Jamie your thoughts on this one which way you lean it it's a really interesting matchup um Honestly, I'm leaning Danielle Collins in this one. Um, I have Ooh. not been that impressed with Kennan, right? I, I mean, I think Kennan has come up with some big play in some big moments, and that's great. But there's also been a lot of stuff that I am just not very happy with in the Kennan game. You know, I think she did a great job bouncing back in her last match against Farrow. But keep in mind, she also dropped that first set convincingly against Farrow, right? She's dropped many sets in three of the four previous matches. She's dropped at least one set. And I don't think you can give that sort of, you know, I don't think you can give that sort of head start to a player like Danielle Collins. So to me, Kennan just has not looked sharp enough to be able to get my vote of confidence. So yeah, sure. I'll ride. I'll ride heavy with the underdog. The thing for Danielle Collins playing back-to-back days, and it was a physical three-set match against Shabor, and I think Collins is going to be just fine. But if the match gets to a third against Sophia Kennan, that's where that sort of thing becomes relevant. And I do agree. I think this match goes three sets. And I'm just leaning Kennan because of how good she looked in sets two and three against Fiona Farrow, how good she looked in the match before in her straight set win. And it's a bet on Sophia Kennan again, just knowing how getting back to this late stage of a grand slam and knowing what to do when she's there and you know she's never won a set against Danielle Collins and Danielle Collins if you can't hurt her if you give her time to tee off on shots she is going to make you look bad she is going to look like a top 10 player in the world because that's how good she can be and you know Kennan doesn't have those sorts of overwhelming weapons to hurt Collins in the way you'd sort of like and I actually think it is a good matchup for Collins but on this surface with the variety Kennan can play with and then the context of Collins having to play on back-to-back days I think Kennan wins this match in a close three-setter, but I agree with you. It's a toss-up. It really could go either way. Stay away from me, for sure. Yeah, a thousand percent stay away. Well, a match I do have thrown into a parlay for our GSP Aces of the Day. Petra Kvitova, we talked about her in the Good Take, Bad Take, Hot Take segment we did, which you can all go find either on the Great Shot podcast feed or our YouTube channel. You can also see the mustached versions of Jamie and myself in those videos. And trust me, it is a sight for sore eyes. But, you know, you look at this matchup between the two in terms of their career head-to-head between Kvitova and Sigamund. Uh, I believe they have played once in their career, Kvitova winning at the 2015 U.S. Open 1-1. One one. Of course, that was a lifetime ago, but you look at this matchup, Jamie, which way you lean it? I think it's Kvitova heavy here. Um, Siegemann, obviously, you know, this is a great run for her to the quarterfinals, but unfortunately, you know, I, I don't see it going much further. The only seed she's had to play is Martich, um, and Martich was not looking her best, and Siegemann just sort of happened to run away with it as Martich was exhausted toward the end. Kvitova, 
just been too sharp to bet against right now. Uh, so I'm pretty confident in Kvitova. Would be very surprised if she doesn't come through this match. Again, what can Laura Siegerman do to stretch Petra Kvitova to hurt her? Because if you can't hurt Petra Kvitova and she gets to stay in the center of the court and dictate play, you're not beating her. And it's just the confidence she's playing with, the level she's shown. Petra Kvitova has put up these sorts of two-week runs before. I think we're in the midst of one. I agree with you. I am leaning Petra Kvitova. Just for the record, so you know, Jamie, my other ace of the day, Kvitova... Gianluca Major, who beat uh, Gianluca Major, excuse me, who beat Yannick Hanifman, uh in round one, he takes on Filippo Baldi. Uh, I believe he takes on Filippo Baldi uh, in the match tomorrow. Uh, I believe the odds pretty heavy in Major's favor. I also took Fasundo Bagnus, who won a challenger last week in his first round match against Joe Dominguez. Now, it's been a couple of days since Bagnus played, so I think he's going to be well-rested and look just fine. You parlay Major, Bagnus, Kvitova together, plus 116 odds. Jamie, that's my other ace of the day. What do you think? You always scare me. I've told you this a million times. You always scare me with those multiple tournament parlays you like to throw in, and I know... I know it's fun for you because then you get to keep your eyes in multiple different places, and especially toward the end when there's less matches, there's fewer matches, excuse me, at Roland Garros. I know that's fun for you, but God, you scare me. All of them on paper, (laughs) yes, I agree with you, and I think that they should win those matches. Again, you just get scary with that that third match in a parlay, right? You're never going to feel good about. But I will say this: I would I would say that I'm I don't think Kvitova is where that parlay is going to break if it does. Yeah, no, look, today's parlay hit by the grace of a three-set Caruso win, and so we were on edge. But yeah, A, I like to be able to, an excuse to watch the Challenger circuit, an excuse to have that split screen with the French Open. B, I'm still trying to bonify my tennis hipster uh, qualities and qualifications, and I feel like by betting on Challenger matches, that does that. And yeah, it's just, it's. I think it's the best value on the day. Of course, if you want to hear our picks, you can go check out the GSP Ace of the Day pod or video if you want to see my thoughts on the complete list of matches across the tennis world. Go check out our GSP Ace of the Day article on our website, crackrackets.com. And of course, if you have missed any of the action in Paris, you need to catch up on any of our mini break episodes, GSP's Cracked Interviews, Season 1 of the Inside Out Podcast. Be sure to go check out our website, crackrackets.com. You need those more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or at Cracked Rackets. You want to DM me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an any job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends over at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Be sure to go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. Go to Aerobar.com. Use that promo code CRACK15. If you want to join our Cracked Rackets family, of course, go check out our Patreon link and be sure to check out that Cracked Rackets merch because Jamie McDonald killed it with the merch. And I feel like you haven't gotten enough love for that, Jamie. Appreciate it. Appreciate it very much. Took a bit of work to get the shop set up, but yeah, the sales have been going in. People seem to be liking the hoodies. Got a lot of variety on there, so definitely uh, get your CR gear. It's good stuff. Yeah, well then, with that in mind, any final thoughts on uh, this day? What are we on, day 10 of the French Open? Yeah, 10 or 11, somewhere in there. I think it's 11 now. Cause I, I, I think, think I that time. was oh, 10. Oh, no, today was moving... 10. Yep, yeah, today exactly. was 10, moving to 11. Uh, no, final thought, go Argentina. Good for you guys. <laughs> have yourselves have yourselves a good day. <laughs> Let's <laughs> wrap it there you. then. For my wonderful co-host, James Foster McDonald, our super producers, Max Flickner, Danny Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you, Mom, for the birthing. <laughs>